Hello, I'm Ivan, and I worked on CrossCut with Shimon and Marcel at Ink and Switch. I'm going to reflect on my experience building this project and talk about the way that it relates to HEST, which is what this podcast has historically been about. And it's just a place for me to sort of think out loud and share my perspective as somebody who's very interested in visual programming and new interfaces for making dynamic behavior pour out of a computer like water pouring out of a crack in the bottom of a cup. I am going to talk a whole bunch about my opinions, and it's just like my opinion, man. And I don't want anyone to think that what I'm saying is shared by Marcel or Shimon or anybody else at Ink and Switch. This is just my own perspective as a human being making stuff. So I hope you will find it interesting to listen to as a, as a sort of a bit of background to how CrossCut turned out the way that it did. And then also having gone through the CrossCut project and having built this and, and looked at all the great feedback that we got and, and, you know, having learned what I learned through building it, what I might think about differently now in the future as I continue working on these sorts of tools on my own or in other capacities. So one other thing I'll say just before I dig into it, um, the work that I did on CrossCut was informed by my own sort of personal sensibilities um, and my own aesthetics and my own kind of tastes and, and inclinations. But uh, it was an interesting opportunity for me to try building something different because I previously have been working on this HEST project and it is quite a bit different. My, my goals there are quite different from what the goals of CrossCut were and what we ended up building together. And so it was a great opportunity for me to try adopting a bunch of different perspectives and doing as good a job of them as I could possibly do as a way of sort of reflecting on my own uh, feelings about how things should be. So that that was a really cool experience. And I have definitely changed some of the things that I want to do in Hest as a result of this. And so we'll dig into that. So I, I think an interesting place to start with are the things that are different between what CrossCut is what we built and what our goals were with that project and my own personal goals with Hest and what I was making Hest to do and to be. And the biggest high level, most interesting one that I want to start with is the difference between direct and indirect representation. And I'm just going to make up terms. These terms aren't like, you know, pulled from some text, some canonical source, some authoritative, you know, reference. Uh, I'm just going to use terms kind of casually based on how I see other people in the community using them. So if I, if I, if I use a term and it's a little bit uh, uncouth to use it in the way that I use it, I'll just, you know, forgive. Um, there are kind of two different ways of looking at direct manipulation, indirect manipulation, those terms should be really familiar. Um, there's the input side and there's the output side. And so let's look at the input side first. Degrees of directness on the input side, you could think that the most direct way to have a relationship with something is to like literally hold that thing in your hand, like a real physical object in the world that you can see and touch. That is an incredibly direct relationship with that thing that thing if it if it represents something or if it means something to you or if it's a tool that you can use to you know make some change in the world holding it in your hand is a tremendous tremendous thing and as we get into computers we will increasingly move away from having that kind of a direct relationship with something and we will want to try and preserve attributes of that directness. Um, and as we'll see, like as technology has sort of 
progressed, we recover more and more and more of that direct connection with the thing uh, from the real world. And so the most recent thing that we have, the most direct kind of connection we can have with something digital in the computer, um, and what we did with CrossCut is to have some kind of a touchscreen or a, or a tablet-like surface or some kind of um, you know computer screen and we're talking about the input side so this is where you could directly touch a, a graphic on the screen with your finger or with a stylus and especially with a stylus if you can draw the stylus and it leaves a stroke like a pencil on paper and if that stroke has you know very low latency if there's not any gap between the tip of the pen and the line being drawn as you move it if the frame rate is really good if the digitizer is running at a really high rate if the frame pacing is really consistent and even um, you can get an experience that increasingly with the march of technology approximates what you'd get from using a real pen on a real piece of paper and that is uh, a wonderful thing and we're, we're definitely a lot closer to that now with with recent ipads than we have been in the past outside of you know um very hypothetical research contexts uh, i think microsoft research had some really really cool uh low latency tablet work that they were doing about a decade ago but i mean in the you know in the world of products you can go and buy off the shelf uh, the the ipad pro is definitely the closest we've come so far to having something that feels like a real pen and paper um, less direct than that is what you have with the mouse, where the mouse sits on a surface, on a table somewhere that is not related to the thing you're manipulating. And then on a separate screen, you can kind of see a, a cursor move around. And that's the, the kind of direct manipulation that was pioneered in a meaningful way at Park and then later commercialized at Apple with the Macintosh. Um, and, and we're all familiar with that. Even less direct than that in terms of manipulation, I would argue, is the keyboard. I think the keyboard is a, is a less direct uh, input mechanism than the mouse. And then the, the least direct way of working with some kind of thing that I could think of that would be relevant here is punch cards. Punch cards let you do some programming by basically punching holes in a piece of paper. And then you take that piece of paper that card and you feed it into a machine and then the machine chews on it and then if you if you punch the right holes it does the thing that you desire um, and that is extremely indirect as an input mechanism because the delay between your expression of intent and the moment at which the the machine that you are expressing your intent to can respond to your intent there's a huge gap there not to mention the gap between the response of the machine and your ability to receive that response which is also big and uh systems that used punch cards the output side uh, which you know we're considering separately because i think it's interesting once again the most direct thing you can possibly have is literally a thing you can touch in your hand like you get a feeling from that thing you can see it uh, with your eyes you could hold it up to your ear it's physically present in the space with you um, you can wrap your arms around it you can pinch it between your fingers there's just a depth of tangibility there that is not even closely approximated by anything we've done with computers yet um, there have been some amazing art projects that have um, experimented with you know making computers able to interact with people and and give them sensory feedback um, in many many different ways especially for uh, remote long distance communication between people. There've been some, some beautiful projects done there, but the, the status quo for things you can buy off the shelf is, is just a, you know, a screen that you can look at, which is not nearly as good as a thing you can touch. Um, and when it comes to screens, the thing that is shown on the screen also varies and there's different degrees of directness that that thing can have. I, I would think, and once again, this is just like my opinion, man, um, the most, 
direct way that something on a screen can give you output is if that thing on the screen is some kind of like an interactive simulation of a real thing or some kind of entity, some sort of interactive being-like thing that you can you know, manipulate however you manipulate it. That's the whole input side, touch screen, mouse, keyboard, whatever. But the way that it responds to you is like uh, it being an interactive simulation implies that it's responding in real time that there's uh you know it's it's running at a, at a high frame rate with low latency it behaves like a game or it behaves like a really good art tool or you know some kind of uh some kind of live running thing that can respond to you because then it feels more real it feels more like something that you would have you know pulled out of the screen in the in the physical space around you the next level down from that less direct would be something like a picture or a video or a drawing um, and the tool you're using to manipulate that picture or video or drawing might be interactive and it might be able to give you immediate feedback in response to your input but the thing that you are manipulating the video or the picture or the drawing is is more static in its being it's it's like a narrower kind of existence it can depict something and represent something and mean something you can read it you can look at it you can have feelings towards it but it's not going to change and respond to you just as part of its essence you might change and respond to it but it's not going to adapt to the things that you do unless you use some tool to manipulate it and produce a new video or picture or drawing um, even more indirect than that on the output side would be a symbol like a pictogram or some kind of, you know, more abstract token or something that the thing itself is perhaps interesting to appreciate, but what it really does is it stands in for something else. It represents some other thing. So it might be, you know, like an emoji is a great example. Like an emoji face isn't a a face that you care about in the same way you care about what it's trying to convey you use a smiling emoji because you want to convey that it makes you smile or that the person who used it they were smiling when they used it that kind of symbolic representation it's it's incredibly powerful but it is also incredibly indirect and i think the next level down from that um would be text like text is no longer and and now we're getting into you know understanding comics scott mcleod territory but like text is a is a even more indirect way of representing something because you're no longer you know using a little symbol or a token or something that can kind of allude to or in a simplistic way represent something we're now not even bothering with trying to represent the actual attributes of the thing we're using a a code or a or a vocabulary a collection of pieces put together that we will recognize okay that word has that meaning it represents that thing if i put the letters s-m-i-l-e together it means a smile and i can put that in a sentence to communicate i am smiling that's a much much less direct representation than a symbol of a smiling emoji or a video or a drawing or a picture of somebody smiling or an interactive simulation of a thing where you know there's a, a persona on the screen and you can tell them a joke and they will smile back at you or literally another person in the room that you can you know poke in the ribs and they will giggle and, and chuckle so those two spectrums the 
direct to indirect spectrums of representation on the input side and the output side are ways that hast my my ambitions for what this project should be uh, my own you know collection of sensibilities for what i would like to build as i build visual tools in the future which i'm just going to call hast hester those sensibilities hast not the project that i am actually building but the if i were to build a thing how would i build it um versus crosscut what we actually built this prototype and this essay describing it and, and what we were going for they differ in a in a quite significant way when it comes to this thinking about directness and indirectness so in crosscut we wanted to be as direct as we could possibly be we were trying to take the very best input and output technology that was available in a in a common scenario not some you know researchy hardware but just consumer grade hardware but the best available and we were trying to build a tool that would let you work with representations of your own thoughts or or things that you were interested in thinking about and work with them with as direct a representation as we could and we we're really, really thinking about pen and paper and the way that you use pen and paper to think through problems. And we were trying to make as realistic a recreation of that as we could with the slight constraint that we didn't want to do sort of smooth, continuous, flowing ink strokes, because that has been explored in other work recently at Ink and Switch. And it's something where that was sort of already a thing that we had a lot of understanding about. And so we wanted to say with that one exception that we're not doing smooth curving strokes and, and, and emulating the, the character of a pen, how can we create an interface that feels very, very much like pen and paper and that has all the benefits that pen and paper have like that you, you could imagine having cross cut on, you know, a drafting table where you could stretch your arms out and, you know, have a big space to work with and position things in the space around you, other physical things, other tools like a ruler or some reference drawing or some book or, you know, a mug of coffee or whatever, all um, in the same space as the cross cut tool that you're using to do your dynamic thinking with hast on the other hand does not want to be direct at least not on the um on oh, this is hard to describe but not on the output side so on the output side um something that i want to do with hast something that that my own sensibilities lead me towards is wanting to embrace abstraction and embrace one thing standing in for another thing. So that's like symbolic representation like you'd get with emoji or APL. I, I am really enamored of abstract representation and the idea of creating something that means something else where you are, you know, introducing some, not necessarily some symbol, but you have some tools available in your toolbox for taking a, a complex thing that you need to care about in its full complexity and its full reality and for the time being simplifying that thing into a you know into some kind of simpler representation and then working with that simpler representation for a while well it is convenient to do so and then eventually recovering the full rich representation when you need it crosscut the whole thing about it is you do your drawing with concrete ink. You are making a drawing of a real thing that you want to think about. You're doing a drawing of the actual domain that you are interested in. And that concrete ink drawing 
always exists. It's always preserved. It's never hidden. And going further than that, on the input side, it's always manipulable. We don't have lamination because we don't want to ever stop you from being able to work with that actual literal representation of the thing that you've drawn. We want the drawing to always be there and available and existing. And so it's never hidden. It's never folded up. It's never tucked away. If you put it on your canvas, it is always there, always at full scale, always rendered in full fidelity. The thing I want to do with Hest is have all of that to some extent, but also be able to fold it up into some kind of a smaller container or some kind of a box. And the reason that I want that, we'll get into this more later, is that idea of introducing a variable to represent something is so fundamental and it is so powerful to be able to say, I don't want to care about this thing at full fidelity right now. I trust that it is in its full fidelity. It it exists in that way and it is available for me to manipulate richly at that level if I so choose. But I also want to temporarily just deal with it at arm's length and to put it away from me and to put it in the background or to put it inside a a box on a shelf and then just deal with the whole shelf or deal with just that box. So that's something that in my work on Hest, one of the ways that I've approached that is, at least in my current prototypes, it's a node wire programming language. So there's boxes that have some kind of text or, or symbol on them that represents some function. And this is not interesting. We, you know, don't worry about what that means. We can get into that in other episodes in the past if, you, if you'd like to go with me on that adventure. Um, just, uh, you know, go down in your podcast feed a little bit. Um, but when it comes to the representation of data, um, data flows along the edges in Hest as an animated thing. And you control the rate of execution and you control the passage of time. And that's represented as these little dots flowing along the lines through your program. But my conception is that those dots They're sort of like little containers that data lives inside of because it's convenient to be able to zoom out and see at a distance all of the places that your data is flowing. But those dots are not a very rich, very full representation of the data they contain. They're a very simplified, abstracted, variable-like thing. And so the thing that Hest needs to be able to do is to allow you to, at you know, at any time of your choosing, go into those dots and explode them open and see the data contained within in a full, rich form to get a full representation of the thing and to be able to work with it programmatically at that full level. And this is something where the current Hest prototypes don't enable that very well. So Crosscut is intentionally, at least in the, you know, context of working on it as a research prototype for a very short period of time it's focused on directness immediacy showing the full thing always never compromising that and hest is starting from in in the early prototype i've done um the prototypes it's starting from a place of wanting to have abstraction of wanting to represent data as a contained thing and eventually i would like to expand that to let you also work with the thing in full fidelity Um, so they're coming at this from sort of opposite perspectives but i think that the the ultimate thing the thing that you really want is to have a programming like system that lets you have both that lets you have the full representation and work with it in a very direct way on the input and output side but to also then package that up into something more abstract and work with it in a very indirect way both on the input and output side. So that's the first difference between Crosscut and Hest, is the degree of directness in their representations. The 
second difference is less of a like here's just you know it's not intended as part of the design that we care about it's more just a consequence of these being prototypes these being research projects these being explorations of the potential space and that is the way that they use nodes and wires as the uh, metaphor that you program through and so in crosscut we're very focused on concrete ink on drawing the actual thing on preserving that in its full fidelity. But then we also have meta ink as a layer that you can use to add dynamism to make measurements of where things are in space to manipulate those positions in space using simple math constructions to do a little bit of abstract manipulation to do queries to do repetition. Um, And that that meta ink is shown as nodes and wires just because that was a convenient metaphor for us to use and it wasn't of interest in this project for us to find a new metaphor necessarily i mean if one came up sure that would have been interesting but what that wasn't what we were looking for that wasn't what we were exploring in hest i'm also using nodes and wires but i'm i'm not using them just because they're a convenient representation i'm using them because i think they're actually an incredible powerful representation that uh, gets short shrift And I think that, and this is something I'll get into in more depth in the next point, but I think that node wire interfaces are incredibly good at representing the way that data moves through a program. And in my own programming work, in my own, you know, in my own journey as a programmer throughout the ages, um, I found that one of the things I struggle with, my own weakness, is in knowing what is happening, where and when and why, and where things came from. If I hit a breakpoint or whatever, pause execution, I'm in some debugger and I'm looking at some spot, I will sometimes wonder, how did I arrive at this state? How did things get to be the way that they are? And sure, this is an invitation for everybody to tell me, oh, you should be using a programming language that has, you know, this aspect of strong types or this aspect of immutable data structures or this aspect of um, structured programming or whatever it is that you want to champion. <laughs> I'm laughing at the structured programming joke. Um, it, whatever it is that people want to champion, that's all well and good. I've tried all of those things. Um, and they do help, certainly. But I have never been without the feeling of wondering, you know, how did I get here when I'm looking at paused execution? And I think the reason for that is not because the programming model that I'm using is, is weak or whatever. I think it's because of the disconnect between the coding space in the text editor and the space where the program runs. It's it's space where the runtime exists, where execution happens, hypothetically with some compiler in the middle, depending on the language. And there's... There's something where this is something that both Hest and Crosscut do, and a lot of other tools do this, where the thought is there should be no separation there. Um, I'll talk about that more later. But I think that nodes and wires, what I'm talking about now, is interesting because it allows you to have an abstract representation of the way that a, a program is structured that lends itself very well to both being built being written, being created, but also being visualized as it executes. I think it's a a way of representing code. It's a metaphor for for showing the structure of a computation that lends itself very well to unifying those two sides, the side of constructing the program and the side of executing the program. I think you can have both of those things live together. And so 
while crosscut we kind of viewed that node wire interface as like a low level thing we didn't want to spend a lot of work to make it great um whenever we were faced with a problem where it's like oh you know this is kind of clunky or awkward to express using meta ink using these nodes that we've selected something internally that we tell ourselves over and over again is this is a research prototype we're not going to try and make the ultimate node wire programming interface maybe that is possible to do that's a matter of engineering that's something that people who are making a commercial product should worry about it's not something we're going to worry about because it's not what we're interested in whereas in hest i am much more interested in that i am interested in doing the work to explore that space because i think it it opens up new opportunities for representing code that haven't been fully explored. And I feel like there's a, a lot of potential there, especially when it comes to animating nodes and wires and adding some of the things that we've learned from game design, for example, to node wire interfaces. And for more on that, see all of the past episodes of this podcast. The next area where Hest and Crosscut differ is the focus on, and I put this in scare quotes, not programming or not feeling like programming. A lot of the tools for thought out there are a lot of, you know, novel research focused approaches to programming really want to have dynamism as a as like a fundamental thing because dynamism is incredibly powerful we have computers now they enable this whole new way of of relating with information and abstraction and representation in ways that things like language or drawing you know hint at but this is a whole new depth to which we can take that exploration um but these tools you know, they're aware of the fact that approaches to programming historically have been very technical and very heavy and very narrow. And those ways that we approach programming historically are not appealing to a broad number of people. They're very hard to learn. They're very hard to get into. The culture that has grown up around them is very unapproachable. And so it's this specialized skill. Ted Nelson, you know, um, computer lib dream machines that's the whole thesis there is that there's this priesthood of computer people who have this special access to this magical power and they sort of hide it away from the general public and they put themselves in between the capability of the computer and the people who might benefit from it and it's it's very difficult to to cross that divide even today and so people working on these novel tools like crosscut like we did with crosscut one of the things that we do as these researchers is we almost like a, on an aesthetic level reject things that feel like programming we we take the status quo of programming and we kind of bundle up all of the things about it that make it what it is and we kind of put a big red X through those and say, we don't want to do that. And I think that's a good thing. I think that it's, it's useful to say that we want something else. I think this is, it's, it's sort of like this sort of ethos is like what you get from punk rock where punk rock, you know, vehemently rejects capitalism and selling out. And it is this anti-establishment ethos enshrined in the music and, and in all of the aspects of its culture. And yet at the same time, it's still wildly profitable and successful and popular lots of ink has been spilled about that um, but that idea of taking the thing that you are wary of and trying to do something in 
staunch opposition to that is powerful. And so that's what Crosscut is. Crosscut includes some things that are programming like at the meta ink level in particular, but it was our attempt to try and do something that didn't feel like programming. Whenever we could make a decision where one direction felt more like programming, and every time I say programming, put it in four pairs of scare quotes. Anytime we could do something that felt like programming or do something that did not feel like programming, we tried to do the thing that did not feel like programming to varying degrees of success. And I think one of the most interesting outcomes from Crosscut, and and this is in the essay, is that we did not find ways of doing querying or repetition that didn't feel like programming. The ways that we found still felt like programming. They still required a, a manipulation of abstraction in some degree. And there's very likely to be much better ways to do that stuff than what we found. And that would be fascinating to see people explore that space some more. Hest, on the other hand, once again, my own personal aesthetics for how I would like visual programming to be, and if I had my druthers, what I would build, I want it to be something that embraces programming. I want it to be a tool for experts. I want it to be difficult to get into. I want it to require investment. Um, I want it to be something that is demanding a lot of the person who's going to do the programming. And this is my own kind of punk. You know, it's, it's, and punk as a, as a music and culture went through this also, it lashed out against itself over and over again. My wanting to make tools for expert programmers is my way of fighting back against all the people who say that visual programming is somehow inherently limited and can't scale up to complex systems the way that text languages can, because I think that that's bullshit. I think that that's totally unfounded. And it's just an accidental consequence of the way that text-based languages have been largely embraced by programming culture and have been matured and enriched and fostered and invested in and explored and in all ways developed into being incredibly powerful tools, whereas visual programming has always been sidelined and relegated and it's fine for artists and it's fine for toy programs and it's fine for learning for beginners and it's fine for occasionally visualizations, uh, you know, things like if you have a whole bunch of servers and they're communicating, you can make a cool dashboard that shows them as as a node with, you know, things floating around and it's fine for special effects for films that need something that looks splashy but it's not real programming you can't do real programming in a visual language and i hate that i think that's awful i think that that is self-defeating and i think that there is an incredible amount of potential in visual representations of code and execution and i think that there's so much that you can do to make better programming for experts by embracing visual representation and so that's what i want to do and hast that's the that's the whole thing it's not necessarily about having nodes and lines with little dots moving along the lines and being able to reverse time and and all that kind of stuff that's not what hest is hest is specifically i want to explore expert programming tools that embrace visual representation as the way of representing code and so part of that is embracing programming is is not trying to make something that doesn't feel like programming i want something that feels like amazing programming i want it to feel very much like programming and this is of course semantics right like it depends on how you define programming it depends on what programming means to you Um, this is just what it means to me and and where i want to go with that the last thing i will say about the difference between uh hest and crosscut is just the aesthetics of the tool um 
in Crosscut, we wanted it to be very Spartan, very minimal, very plain. We wanted it to get out of the way. Um, for the longest time, we had no Chrome at all, and we only added a couple of buttons in the top left corner very reluctantly. We had, on the actual iPad, all of the different ways that you would control what tools you were using and what kind of inputs you were doing was using these things called quasi-modes, where if you just use the pen on its own, it would do one thing. If you put your on your offhand that's not holding the pen, if you put one finger down and used the pen, that would do something. If you put two fingers down and used the pen, that would do something else. And you'd sort of use both hands, where one hand was just kind of manipulating what input mode you were in and then your other hand holding the pen was actually using that input mode it was meant to as much as possible let you focus on your representation and let you have the whole screen the whole canvas to yourself and get the software out of the way and make it disappear into the background because that's truer to how pen and paper work and in fact we dreamed about a future where we'd have a dedicated hardware device for crosscut where you'd have multiple different styluses and you wouldn't even need the intrusion of having to remember what combination of fingers to use on your offhand in order to switch tools. You'd have literal different tools in the physical world because once again, that that's more direct. It's a more real thing to have different pens that you can pick up and each pen has a different purpose. Um, and that's incredibly powerful. So that's what we were going for in Crosscut. In Hest, this once again, my own personal aesthetics and the thing I would build if I could build whatever I wanted. Um, I love the aesthetics of software. I love, uh, like I'm, I'm recording this podcast in Ableton Live and it's got, you know, a waveform editor in the middle with grid lines and it's got different colored regions to show me, you know, how many bars and how many beats are going by. And it's got numbers everywhere and buttons all over the place and colors and things are moving and there's folders and tabs and it's got just tons and tons and tons of interface. And I think that interface is an incredible aesthetic. Like I, I spent my, you know, early teenage years learning every different piece of 3D graphics software I could get my hands on. 3D Studio Max and Pixels 3D Studio and Stratavision 3D and Poser and Bryce and Maya and Cinema 4D, et cetera, et cetera. I had all of these tools because the 90s was a great time for getting software for very, very cheap if you were a teenager. And I just loved learning the different ways that they all approached fundamentally the same thing, which is how do you make a cube spin around the origin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they all had F-curve editors and keyframes and axis constraints and manipulators for position, rotation, and scale. And they had deformers and all different things, texturing, all of that. And the interfaces were so intricate. They were like puzzles. They were like opening up the engine of a, of a complex machine or looking at the control panel, you know, looking at the launch control center for a spaceship or something like that. There's this bridge of the enterprise kind of feel that you get from software that I don't know that I get it from other things in, in physical reality. And so as a novel aesthetic space, I find it delightful and charming and interesting. And so even if it is not accessible and mainstream and broad and appealing, it's something that I, as a 
as a maker of tools am fascinated by because it has all this potential for expression in in the making of a tool. And so I, I'm, I'm very taken with it. And so I want Hest to be an exploration of that. I want there to be lots of buttons and controls and modes and settings and colors and blinking lights and all that kind of stuff, just because I, 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 I find that a very appealing aesthetic and it has the benefit of being very expressive you can pack a lot of information and a lot of manipulation in there it's you know it's it's no wonder that the uh, the interfaces in 3d programs are so complex because they have thousands and thousands of features so i think that that is uh that's a direction that i'd like to explore some more that was totally inappropriate for crosscut so that brings us to the end of the the major differences that i wanted to highlight now i will bang through some similarities between crosscut and my own personal work that I think are interesting to reflect on. Um, and one of them I alluded to this earlier is having a single canvas where both your code and your representation of data can live together. And going even further than that, because there have been some tools that do this in the past, some, some, some experimental programming environments that put your code and your data in the same place. And in fact, you get this if you go to an algo rave or something like that, they'll have some, you know, uh, algorithmic visualizations running up on the screen or whatever. And um, they'll be overlaid on top of that, some text code that the the algo rave or person, <laughs> the one, you know, making the music and the visuals is like writing their code and they show the code and the thing that it's generating right on the same screen overlaid one on top of the other. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in and what we did both with Crosscut and what I've done with Hest is that you use the same tools to work with both things. You use the same drawing metaphor to work with code and whatever your code is manipulating, the representation of your data. And in Crosscut, this is the the similarity and the connection between concrete ink and meta ink you draw lines you make points um, if the lines are black then it's the representation of data that you want to manipulate if the lines are yellow then it is meta ink that is pulling some dynamism out of the ether and using that to imbue your concrete ink with life and i think that Using the same tools for both of those things is tremendously powerful. And so in Hest, that's also what I'm going for, um, albeit less successfully in the prototypes I've built so far, just because the drawing part of it, the, the, the creating of your concrete data is underdeveloped. I'm mostly so far focused on finding new ways of representing program structure and execution semantics using visual programming using that that uh, node and wire metaphor and and augmenting that and enriching that so i haven't done much to explore actually using drawing interfaces to make data and hooking that up with your code but that's what we did in crosscut and so that's why i one of the many many reasons why i had such a blast working on crosscut is because it fills in some of those gaps for me personally in my own work in my own exploration so i think that this this idea of code and data being the same kind of thing and having some way that you differentiate them. And in Crosscut, we used yellow and black as the only real way that you would differentiate them. If you, you know, looked at a screenshot or printed out a, a Crosscut program, you would have enough information to, to build that Crosscut program again, just in the screenshot or in the, in the printout you know, caveat, caveat, if you have nested parts or whatever, because reasons, you know, good design. Okay, this is the podcast where I'm talking about the, the commentary behind the scenes. Um, one of the things that Crosscut doesn't do that I think is worth exploring in the future is finding a way of 
really giving you the ability to recreate the whole program and its state just from the picture. And I don't know that at this moment I could articulate what the full value of that is, but just go with me that there's some value there. The one thing that defeats that is abstraction and is hiding complexity, is taking some complex behavior in Crosscut that would be some complex arrangement of meta ink and folding it up and tucking it away so that you don't have to worry about it. And in Crosscut, we do that. When you have one part nested inside another part, the thing that is nested, the inner part, has its meta ink hidden so that it can be an implementation detail. It can be something that brings concrete stuff to life, but that you don't have to micromanage it. You don't have to see it all the time. You can just build something and trust that it works and then use that in an abstract way. And so Crosscut, the the saying that you can print it out or have a screenshot and rebuild the full program and state applies just to a single part, a single drawing that doesn't have any complex nesting going on. So there's probably a way to recover that attribute while still having nesting of some sort. I think that's an interesting area to explore. Crosscut doesn't do that. Hess doesn't do that either. But anyways, the way that you differentiate between the code and the data in Crosscut, it's just yellow and black. Um, in Hest, I don't have a, an approach to that because I haven't explored this area yet. Um, I think that this is going to be a very interesting challenge because you need a way to reserve as much space as you can for working with the actual depiction of data, um, whether that is writing text or doing a drawing or importing some other kind of media, like a video or something like that. You need a lot of the available channels of communication to be devoted to representing that data, especially if you want to represent that data in its full fidelity. So if you're doing drawings, you kind of want to be able to draw with arbitrary thicknesses of lines and arbitrary colors and, you know, arbitrary textures. And you want to be able to use depth and use perspective and all of these sorts of things. And once you free up all of that capacity for expression through data, you in so doing are starving yourself of capacity for expression when it comes to representing the code. So imagine if we allowed you in Crosscut to draw in any color you wanted, how would you tell the difference between something you drew in yellow and the meta ink that is also in yellow? You need some way to differentiate between the thing that is data and the thing that is code. And that is a benefit of having them be intrinsically separated by, you know, having your code live in a text editor separate from the runtime environment, and then the runtime environment is its own isolated thing. And this is definitely something where I've never seen a tool nail this. And the closest that I've seen is in video games, where video games often have to differentiate between the things that are interface that are providing meta level information for the player about how the game is going and then some you know photorealistic rendering of a 3d world that the game play actually takes place within and games have done amazing things to play with that separation to kind of bridge that divide and to in some cases playfully skip back and forth across it where maybe something that you thought was an ui level thing actually becomes present in the world and some character remarks on it or something like that and i'm reminded of um i think the term for this in filmmaking is diegetic music where it's you know part of the score or the soundtrack of the movie you know it's music that plays as the camera is cutting around and as time is passing in a in an 
artificially manipulated way. But then at some point, you know, the music is placed within the world. Maybe, you know, it's a car chase sequence and you cut to the inside of the car and the people driving the car actually listening to that music on the stereo. And maybe the sound of the music changes or something like that. So this is something where games and film have done a lot to play with that boundary between things that are meta level that are you know what we would want to be able to do with code and then things that are concrete that are a representation of some kind of realistic recreation of reality wow that's a terrible phrase a realistic recreation of reality anyways moving on um Another thing that is similar between Crosscut and Hest is the approach to nesting and abstraction and reusable parts. That's something that Crosscut does nicely, where everything that you draw is always inside of a part and that part can be reused. And we found some ways to make it so that two parts can communicate with one another. We also found a ton of ways that our approach could be improved and speak to those a little bit in the essay. This is something that Hest also explores and something that I'm very interested in figuring out great ways to do in my own ongoing research. And for more on that, see many past episodes of this podcast. So that you know, we're 45 minutes in. I think this is quite long for uh, just my own thoughts on Crosscut v. Hest. Um, Crosscut and Hest hugging each other and holding hands and sitting on two swings on a swing set and, and rocking back and forth. And so I just I want to take uh, the last minute here just to say, uh, what's next? What am I doing now? Um, now that Crosscut is out there and in the world, where do we go from here? Um, and my answer to that unsatisfyingly is I don't know. I do like having this podcast and I am going to, now that I'm done, you know, pouring all of my effort into Crosscut and kind of having that be the the channel where all of my thinking on this stuff is going, uh, I do think I will come back for a couple more episodes here and there as events warrant. But I'm also going to use this feed to share some thinking that I have about other subjects um, that I think would be interesting to people who are building things, building tools, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the next episode that I'm going to do is about a little five minute sequence in the video game Death Stranding. Uh, if you listen to me on this podcast or the Future of Coding podcast, you know that I will always be threatening to do a gaming podcast because I think video games are an incredible resource to pull from for anybody who's making tools for creative problem solving and programming, etc. Uh, so I'm actually going to talk explicitly about a video game and something fascinating about it on the next episode in this very feed. Other than that, uh, do I have any new Hest prototypes that I'm working on right now that are coming up? Nope. Uh, do I have some related work that I'm doing? Yes. Is it interesting to talk about? No, sadly. Um, but at some point, I will be doing more stuff like this, and I will talk about that here. And so if you find that interesting, just subscribe, and I uh, I promise I will only spam this feed when I have something that is uh, interesting to think about and you know worth sharing my thinking process out loud. Working with the garage door open, as, as some people say. Um, if you found Crosscut interesting, thank you very much for checking it out. I'm glad that the work that uh, myself and, and to speak very, very briefly, just this one time, just this one time, I'll speak on behalf of Shimon and Marcel and say thank you very much for uh, for checking that out and, and finding that interesting and hopefully sharing some feedback with us for what we can all take away from it and do differently in the future. Oh, no, I don't end this podcast by saying in the future. That's the other one.